Today on Dance Med Spotlight, I have the opportunity to speak with Alexander McKinvin. He is a physio based out of London who has actually a dual career as a physio and as a performer. In the conversation today, he's able to share some great perspectives that he's had from balancing that dual career and having experiences in each. We talk a lot about where we are in the dance community and the dance medicine space and how things have been evolving, places where we can continue to grow and move into ways that we truly support one another as professionals and supporting our performers in the community. We talk about that and so much more, so be sure to check out the whole episode. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight, where we talk about all things dance medicine. Today, I am excited about my guest, Alexander McKinvin. He is a physio based in London, working with performing artists and dancers, as well as having a career in performance himself. Welcome, Alex. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very excited to be part of the podcast here. Yes, and you are our first international guest on here as well, which excites me. Good, waving the flag for overseas <laughs> PTs and physios. Exactly. So my first question for everybody on the show is tell us a bit about who you are and what sort of got you to this point of working as a physio in this space. Okay. Um, I suppose I've had quite an interesting career with my two careers, basically. So when I, when I was younger at school, I was always really good at, at biology. It was just my standout subject. So there was always something I was going to do in that sort of sphere. But I did go to a performing arts school in terms of I was spotted quite young in terms of talent ID. Um, so I went to one of the London um, sort of stage schools as a kid. And then growing up, it was where did my strengths lie in terms of I was very good at, at ballet and tap um, and ballroom Latin. And I could sing and I could act. So obviously looking at the dance realm as well as music theatre. I was pretty late in my development uh, which I think I need to look at alternatives. And my parents were, were very keen on me going to university as, as well and doing a sort of an academic um, sort of program. So at that time, when I was about 15, 16, I was trying to decide where I wanted to sort of evolve into. Mm -hmm. and I thought I'd have a little bit of time out of, of, of dance before I went and did my um, sort of performing um, postgrad sort of courses. So at the time, osteopathy was on the option, physiotherapy was on the option. I applied or went to university. And having one year out turned into having eight years out. Um, did my physiotherapy training, did my basic grades. So in the UK, normally what happens is when you, you leave university, you go into a, a standard sort of rotational job. So every four months you rotate into um, different specialities just to build up your experience mm -hmm. before you decide to uh, specialize. So I did that for a couple of years, but there was part of me that, that needed to, to finish off my performing. So um, once I got my first senior job, I went back and finished off my performing arts training. And in that eight years, I was doing amateur stuff. I was involved with university. So I kept my dancing and fitness going. And um, yeah, so when I hit that sort of early 20s, I went back, finished off my performing arts 
um, sort of qualifications and then started working in the business. And I did dual career for about 10 years. I was dual career. And I think in terms of my movement and my ability to um, sort of plan exercise and class sort of help with in, in terms of my physiotherapy. So I was, if I was having patients that I was teaching, I could demonstrate it well um, mm -hmm. and have that natural affinity to, to movement classes. Um, and then when I got into, so it's my thirties, my it gets a little bit harder in music theatre. There's that gap in terms of, I wasn't old enough to be into the dad roles, but I, I was too old to play the, the sort of the, the kids um, sort of parts and stuff. And that's when I did my, my master's, my advanced physio sort of program. And after that, the jobs opened up in terms of um, the Royal Ballet, the Royal Ballet School, um, Cirque du Soleil, um, and more recently with, with Neuro Tour, where I've worked on some of the big Disney shows as, as well. Um, now, would I class myself as a performer and a physiotherapist? It's definitely harder as I'm getting older to keep those two careers going. And obviously with the, the mix of the pandemic in there. Um, yes. But I, I suppose I do still, still see myself having those dual careers. But I'd say for the last few years, it's just been purely, purely, purely physio. Um, mm -hmm. and they've been qualified now 30 years. Wonderful. And I love, I always love hearing people's journeys to where they are and, and really appreciate this idea of sort of the dual career or, you know, fostering things outside of just a physio or just whatever your, your kind of more uh, science-based career might be or something like that. Yeah, I think, I think it's important in terms of, I definitely think it balances each other. It gives me a balance in life as well as my career that I can see things from, from two lenses in terms of that artistic sphere, as well as that, that scientific sort of sphere. And I think coming from both worlds, I know the language as well, which I yeah. think is really important knowing the, you know, from an artistic point of view, somebody comes to see me, I, I understand the words they use and I can tailor the exercises to what they want. But then also in terms of the, the medical community, when I'm trying to explain things about where I'm working in the culture and, and the demands, it helps with that as well. So there's a, definitely a bridge there. Yeah, you get to be almost like a translator between exactly. the two groups. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I know I've experienced that myself too, because I still dance and compete and that sort of thing. You know, it's not a, a career for me but it's definitely a very strong hobby, if nothing else. And it's so helpful because even going back and taking the millionth tap class that I've taken in my life or something like that, there's always a reminder of technique or maybe a new way that something's being taught or you know, different things like that. And even in the environment, I remember when I was growing up, the studios I was dancing in, we didn't really have Marley on the floors and all of that sort of thing. And now a lot of the studios that I take classes in, that is a standard thing. And so adjusting to the environment that has changed. So it's been really valuable being able to experience it still as a dancer while also treating dancers. Yeah, I think, I think that's important that we think of dance being pretty, pretty static. You know, it's based in, in tradition. And obviously that tradition can then sometimes stifle growth, but actually it does evolve. And there's some great evidence out there showing how things have changed over time within dance, but also just within society as well about 
you know what's the expectation and working with 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 young dancers we don't need to train them for what's needed now we need to think about what's happening in the future as well you know we want them to have long healthy careers so employing that sports science model into dance science is important you know for that long-term career we can see that that model works we can see sports stars and, and dance performers working and performing longer than ever Mm-hmm. But it's also we need to be mindful that we work, are working in an artistic discipline and how can we we tailor it to, to, to artists, not just not just athletes. Definitely. I know one of the things that I sometimes see come up when there is this discussion of we need to pull sports medicine in for our artistic athletes and things like that, where there are people within the dance community who then want to push back a little bit and say, no, this is an art. Don't touch my art. And so finding that balance can be definitely tricky. Yeah, and that's that's where I think my strength lies in terms of, again, speaking that language in both worlds. I think if we push too fast and too quickly, um, you will get pushed back from that tradition. So you just need to, to slowly evolve things and realize there are certain things that we've been doing really well, but how can we, we accelerate the evolution in a, in a, in a safe way as well? the demands of, of society and what the expectations are because we're all working longer hours there's you know we're in the insta generation where things are, are wanting now the the choreographers the demands for it if you think about competition dance about how that's evolving you know think about being triple threat some people you know add the tricks into there as well yes um and obviously hot topics at the moment in terms of safeguarding um it's really important that how can we as a dance medicine community, you know, um, safeguard and use our our platform to support the dancers um, as well and what, what's being asked of them. Yes, yes, most definitely. I know I've seen within the competition dance community here in the US an evolution of including a lot more of the acrobatics and aerials and things like that, even for pretty young kids. And there's a lot of discussion of whether or not that should be in there, what we do to keep them safe. Um, you know, is that still dance or are we doing something else? It becomes a whole debate in and of itself, but it adds a whole nother layer of things that we as providers then need to be educated about because it's happening. So we need to know how to support it too. Exactly. And we've got things like break dancing going to the Olympics, which is great because it's going to give dancing a, a, a big platform and stuff. But how can we incorporate it, you know, it, um, safe, safely? And there's lots of uh, collaboration that's going on with organizations such as Safe in Dance International, um, the Athletes and the Arts, um, the Dance Bridge Project, IADAMS, PAMA, all these organizations, there's lots of, of cross-talking and, and, and support to get the evidence out there and help to implement things safely, um, which should be our priority. I know that you've been very involved in a lot of different organizations, but in particular with IADAMS for quite some time. Tell me a little bit about what that has looked like being involved in that organization and maybe things that you've seen evolve there as well. Yeah, I suppose it's uh, it's pretty close to my heart, Adams, which obviously, for those that don't know, it's the International Association of Dance Medicine, for Dance Medicine and Science. Um, so it's mainly US-based, but it is an international organization. Um, and each year they have an annual meeting conference, um, one year in the 
in the US and then one year outside of it. So I've been going since I, I qualified. So I qualified in 1996 and I've been going since 1997. So over the years, it's not, there's not many events that I've, that I've missed. Um, and it has grown from a, you know, quite a small organization into, you know, a big international voice. Um, I've worked on a couple of um, uh, sort of committees. So I've worked on development um, and also programming. So I was honored to, to chair the program committee for five years. Um, so that means leading the program in terms of the inviting speakers, um, looking at all the abstracts that come in and choosing, you know, what is given a, a platform. We try and do it in a really robust way in terms of um, there's a, a double blind review um, sort of panel. And then we pick and choose the best abstracts that, that work with the themes, um, as, well as, as well as the invited speakers. So looking at that sports science model and trying to tweak it for, for a, a dance science audience. So we've had, you know, invited speakers on the topic of recovery, on the topic of sleep, um, looking at um, long-term development models and how we can apply that into our setting for our youth dancers. Um, we've looked at the role of hypermobility and how that um, sort of works within our, our cohort and how we can um, manage people who present with symptoms um, and want um, to prevent injury in that way or reduce the risk of injury. And it is ev ev evolving. Um, I think we've done, I've added quite a few initiatives when I was there in terms of um, Allegro type speedy talks as well mm -hmm. to get through lots and lots of poster presentations, the infographic um, competition to try and disseminate the information because we know there's really good information out there. Yeah. Are we getting it to the people who need it? Um, are the, the dance medicine practitioners getting that information? Is it easy enough for the dance teachers and the dancers to understand that information? And then are we tracking the information in the, in the correct way to make meaningful data sets? So in about 2010 or 2012, there was a, um, a consensus method, method that was produced with iAdams about how we standardize the, the terminology. So mm. in terms of, are we looking at time loss injury? Are we looking at musculoskeletal complaints? Just so we're all defining things in the same way. Yeah. And then when we're collecting the data, and reporting on it, is it done um, in, a, in a scientific way that then we can be confident of, of the data that we're presenting? Looking at our interventions, are they therefore having an effect that we that we expect? And I think things are, are changing. Again, it goes back to that evolution of dance. We know that mm -hmm. people are getting asked to do more. So even though our injuries might be staying the same, is that because you know, we're having an effect and those injuries aren't necessarily increasing or with our interventions, are we seeing other areas become more, more problematic? We know in terms of the mental health um, sort of side of things, people just in society in general are um, sort of um, more open to talk about it and having sort of interventions to help with that as well. And Adams has been, you know, at the forefront of trying to get that information out there. COVID, how have we coped in the during the pandemic and what effect has that had on our dancers, on our performers as well? So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a great organisation. If you're not aware about it, you know, definitely check it out, iadams.org.
Yes, I got to attend for the first time this last year in person when it was in Ireland, when you and I finally got to meet and interact and, and, had and have dance some and dances. Dance. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, and the thing that I loved so much about it is the fact that it's people from all over the world, from so many different disciplines, including dance educators and researchers, and you know the list could go on, coming together to talk about a single community. Even though that community is very diverse in what they do and who they are, but being able to all come together and sitting in on some of those sessions, being able to have like those snippets where it's maybe 15 minute platforms essentially to talk about things. It was a really nice way to just get exposure to a lot of information and a lot of different perspectives that taught me something made me generate some questions for myself or kind of go, hmm, maybe I should look into this a little bit more. Um, so I really appreciate what I got from that in-person opportunity going to the conference. Yeah, no, I think that's that's part of what we want. You know, we know community is really important. You know, when you find your, your tribe, you know, hopefully it is a welcoming organization and we're always learning, we're always trying to develop, but I think it's coming together and nurturing for, younger sort of therapists but also for the more experienced therapists to come and present information or, or challenges and then discuss it with colleagues about how we can how we can move forward and and support each other as a as you know say a global global network mm -hmm. and having that support built in with everything because i think that's another thing when i started to get into this space a bit more at first, it felt like, am I the only one who's even doing this as a specialty? I don't know. And started meeting more people. And, and some of it was through organizations like the American Physical Therapy Association and the Performing Arts Special Interest Group. Um, so, you know, it's like, okay, there are people. We're making progress. But then getting connected with groups like Pama I Adams, all of these different groups, really seeing the depth and breadth of what is out there made me much more confident in saying, you know, yes, this is a thing and people do this. And I'm not just a crazy person saying, hey, let's see if this can work. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that that is that is important in terms of what I've learned is I can't do it alone and none of us can. So we need to come together and support each other and make sure we are all talking from the same hymn sheet, so to speak. Um, and um, yeah, and develop the, the speciality. What's it mean to be a competent specialist in performing arts medicine? So, you know, it, it, so when people go and see somebody, they know that they are getting you know, an empathic practitioner who understands their world, but has the skills as well to be able to provide them top notch. And like you said, the the groups over in America have done a really good way of benchmark, benchmarking and what's needed and trying to develop sort of fellowships and um, and competency based models, similar to what we're trying to do in the in, in the UK as well. Um, so the group obviously with the ACP SEAM, which is the equivalent of your US organization um, is trying to develop that competency and get the word out, get people interested, but make sure that um, 
there's some standards there as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's an important one because I think this world of dance medicine and science, and, and it's not unique to us. I think it's any real specific niche that people can get into. I think it's important that there is some sort of standardization and being able to sort of legitimize some of the people that are in that space. Because sometimes when you get into these real specific niches, it's all too easy for someone to just come in and say, yeah, this is what I do uh, without actually having the, the background or skill to truly serve that group. No, exactly. We know that, you know, dance is an umbrella. So, you know, ballet, one specific type of dance, break dancing, the ballroom Latin, swing, um, tap, all the percussive dance, they all have different injury profiles as well and different cultures within themselves. So being aware about that as well is, is important um, mm -hmm. and trying to develop that. And it takes time. I think that's the one thing that I try and say to anybody I'm sort of mentoring and supporting. It just takes time, you know, to build up that understanding. And even if you ask me to go into, you know, a contemporary dance class, I would struggle with all of the different types to, you know, differentiate it. But we know that the injury profile is is different for all those different styles within a subset of of dance, within a subset of of contemporary as well. So it, it takes time to develop that understanding. And then if we're not looking at just dance, if we're looking at all of the different performing arts in terms of circus medicine, in terms of vocalists, in terms of musician, it's, it's you know, such a big field and it's, it's fascinating. I love it. That's why I got into it. Um, but it is constantly evolving and learning the language and the specific injury um, sort of mechanics is takes time to, to understand it all. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, especially working, you know, with some of the live professional performance groups and being backstage or on site with them as new shows come out and there are different costumes and props and staging and, you know, all sorts of different things to consider for each show that comes out as well and those performers. Yeah, so I think if you're involved in the in the creative aspect of a show, it's it's really exciting that you get to see it evolving. You get to see things that are trialed and maybe not working. As a as a PT, it's it's part of our responsibility to sometimes say, okay, hold on, that's pushing things a little bit too far in terms of the risk management and stuff, or trying to liaise with other departments and saying, look that dancer can't be in, in that sort of footwear for that amount of time. They might be able to do it for, for one show, but if we're talking eight shows a week for a year's sort of contract, it, it, it can it can build up as well. So it's being that advocate for the dancer. It goes back to trust as well. So again, if you're that practitioner who speaks their language and that trust is so important, it's trying to get that balance with all the different departments as well. So sometimes you're the, the middle person in this trying to, to negotiate things. You understand it from a business side, you know, that there is limits to what can be provided. Mm -hmm. um, you're trying to support the dancers through um, a difficult period. We know there are pressures, you know, opening night is opening night and that a lot of the time can't, can't move, but you're also aware that, you know, it's the, the long term if you're doing a show for a, for six months, a year repeatedly, those sort of work-related um, sort of repetitive injuries can, can start to start to show as well. Yeah. And that's where we're 
really well positioned to come in and and use some of our knowledge from sports medicine and talking about periodization and dosing and you know some of those things that may be outside of the dance space we're thinking of of you know a tennis player or you know whatever sport you want to talk about what is a safe um what is a safe schedule for them to maintain in their training and performing and competing same concepts apply here just in a different context exactly and and so what i try to do with my career is i haven't just based it specifically in in dance medicine you know i've looked at all of the artistic sports in terms of i work with british gymnastics i've done work with with figure skating and looking at what they're doing in their environments and trying to you know bring it back to elevate you know what we do in the in the performing arts or the dance science field and again that takes time that's a lot of you know volunteering or weekend work trying to observe what's happening and trying to meld all of those those worlds together in terms of you know if you do it if you're a sports physio you know exactly what's in your kit bag mm -hmm. backstage do we have that same kit bag right what, what's in your what's in your your performing arts physio kit bag that if you're called to the side of stage have you got the same bag? If you haven't, why haven't you got that? It's sort of like, would it be a standard in sports medicine? Do we have that in, in performing arts medicine? Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think that I'm actually an occupational medicine physiotherapist. That's a, the sort of the field yeah. I tend to work in. And you have so many different things that you're trying to, you know, manage in terms of the emergency management procedures. Have you, have you made sure if you're on tour, you know where all your contacts are? Um, dealing with the acute injuries as well as those chronic overuse injuries. And then, like you said, the risk reduction preventative strategies, what things are you putting in place? Are you teaching sort of well-working behaviors to your, um, uh, to your performers? Because again, we're working sometimes in a culture that that isn't top of their priority. Mm -hmm. um, if you're on a tour, do you know where you can get some food late at night? If you're literally coming off the stage at 11, 12 o'clock at night, how do you wind down so you can get good quality sleep? When are you next called in the next day? Is your schedule a, a double, single, double, double? These are all things that, you know, we're trying to deal with in the culture and trying to look at how we can evolve it safely um, and educate all dancers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another area where sort of the culture and dance has been shifting as well, where they're realizing that people like us exist to be able to support them. And so now it's how do we integrate that into what they're already doing, whether it's backstage at a show, working with performers regularly in the studio or their practice space, um, being on site at conventions, like that's one thing I do for the West Coast Swing community here in Colorado is I, I set up on site in the hallway outside of the ballrooms where competition is happening. And they know that I'm there to both help them feel good throughout the weekend and also there in case we need to triage something in case something comes up and they still need to make it through the weekend. I know there have been times where I've worked on site for touring companies that are coming through and they want a physio to come check them out and provide some treatment. And I've seen a lot of different ways that that has been accomplished with some of those different groups. But, um, you know, it's it's nice to see that that is starting to become more normal for the performers to have access to all of that. 
Yeah. And we don't want them to become dependent. The whole point of us being there is then we can educate them at the same time that we've made them independent as well. But again, trying to get that information in there. So other ways we do that is just having those leaflets. Again, going back to their Adams, there's um, posters and the infographics and the teacher's bulletin. So even if we can signpost people and just spread the word as well, and then make sure that you know the teachers, the educators, the studio owners understand what their responsibility is and, and can they can they educate you know the next gen as well to so we you know we stand on each other's shoulders who so are building this community up and and and, and developing as well mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about you know going back to some of your own experience as both a physio and as a performer what are some things that maybe you've been able to bring into sort of the performance side for yourself from your physio background that you have found to be particularly helpful, maybe something that you felt like gave you an edge, kept you feeling better, performing better, anything like that? Um, I suppose life experience in terms of as a music theatre performer, you know, you can draw on different experiences in life about different people that I've met, um, and therefore bring that into sort of my my acting or the acting component of my my performing as well i did i did feel i could advocate for myself and my fellow performers a lot more having that experience in the uh, and the maturity i think i think if i was a younger dancer i don't know if i would have said things when i think now there's certain times when i have stood up and just said things for the classes in an audition situation like uh, there was one audition i did and it had been a long day we'd been there since nine o'clock and it was getting towards sort of um four in the afternoon and you know they asked us to do a routine that we had done a long time ago but they didn't give us any sort of warning that that was going to happen and we hadn't had enough time to to re-warm up um so we the different groups had been called in so I did, you know, manage to say to the um, sort of the the, audi um, the audition leader, look, we've been, we just needed a bit more notice to do this full out routine in terms of splits and kicks and stuff. Um, so I did feel able to, to stand up and advocate. Um, and that takes courage, I think. And as I said, I don't think when I was younger or a newly qualified dancer, I would have been able to have done that at a young age. So I think the, that having that experience of knowing that actually this was was not ideal practice and that could increase the risk of, of, of injury. Um, and hopefully that would then filter down so people can see that you can say this to, to sort of rehearsal directors. Um, I think we are getting better in terms of the safeguarding Again, I'm thinking about if you feel uncomfortable doing everything, is there an advocate for you in the room? Especially if you're doing any sort of intimate sort of moves and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. you know that nowadays, you know, there are intimacy directors that are involved in in, in that as well. So again, things are improving. Um, and looking at that uh, sort of risk mitigation. So there's lots more information about healthy studios, the temperature, um, could I have done better when I was performing in terms of health and wellness? Well, that sometimes you can't teach, you can't teach youth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, so um, I think I probably could have, you know, implemented more strategies in there. Um, but I definitely think that 
Um, it helped me in terms of how I would warm up, cool down, having that knowledge from my physiotherapy background as a, as a, as a performer. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned there of sort of that having the knowledge base and being able to advocate for yourself, because I think that is one of those places where we can provide a lot of opportunity for performers that we work with. Thinking of even one of my dancers now, she was at a vocational ballet school for a while and was a client of mine off and on over the years for a variety of things. And one of my things that I always enjoy doing with my dancers is teach them a lot of why we are doing this. How does this work? Not just saying, this is what you do. Just listen to me. And she recently came back. She got injured while she was away, came back with an appointment. Her mom came with her and they were just saying, we're so thankful that she was able to learn some of these things working with you over time because she was able to recognize even through this injury when she went to the emergency room and had a conversation with the doctor there. Some of the things that he was saying, not being familiar with dance, she knew something didn't sound right and wanted to advocate for herself or had more questions that she felt comfortable asking and that sort of thing. And I think that's one of those places where we can play such an important role is just giving performers the knowledge and the language and all of that to be self-advocates. Yeah, de definitely, definitely. And I think hopefully within the community, that's what we're doing as well. We're trying to get that information. Um, I think Having worked at the schools, we are we have implemented a lot of healthier dancer practice modules so that education is there as as well. And hopefully, you know, people will build on that as well. So the generation coming through will be much more aware about those scientific principles and be able to do things safely. I think there is a cultural shift as well with that as well, that people are wanting to take a lot more control. We've got more knowledge than ever. So again, making them not dependent on that sort of older medical model, but actually trying to teach them about what they can um, what they can do and like you say, advocate for themselves. I suppose if we're looking at that biopsychosocial model, the interesting part from my doctoral research is that social side, like how can we try and change that culture um, as well to make it a healthier environment for people to, to work in. Um, mm -hmm. And they shouldn't, you know, nobody should be worried about advocating for themselves. We want to empower them as well. Um, it is difficult in terms of, um, again, looking at that traditional culture and how we how we change things slowly. Yeah. I think the other th the other point to mention that I was thinking about is that who did I have when I was younger, and can I be that person that maybe I needed? I I didn't have injuries per se when I was younger. Yes, when I was older, but again, being that later developer, I think that has always stuck with me as well. So um, I can empathize with those kids that, you know, maybe aren't going through the, the early growth spurt um, mm -hmm. as well, because, you know, that that was me. Um, and you realize actually it does take a little bit of, of time to get there. So I think I was, you know, very supportive of anybody who was just a little bit later on that cycle um, when I was working in that sort of environment, say, it's okay, you will get there. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. Um, and hopefully the dance community is getting better at that. Um, that we know within the sports model, looking at um, where, you, where you're developing, where you are in the school year as well. We know there's lots of evidence showing that, you know, if you're in the, the um, 
the first quarter of a school of an academic year you're normally chosen for, for teams and this sort of perpetuates through the the academic cycle um so it's just being aware about that where you are in that cycle and advocating for those for those youngsters as well um so yeah be being the person that you wish you'd had when you were a youngster as well yes most definitely i know one person that I was so thankful for in my training as a dancer was one of my one of my last ballet teachers. Um, she was someone who you just knew was very well versed in the human body and how it works, and being able to tell us, you know, as you do this mov movement, we're thinking of the sartorius muscle and where it attaches and, you know, pulling in some of that anatomy as she was teaching. And it, it gave such a different context for how we were learning some of the movement and where we were controlling it in our bodies and that sort of thing. And that was just, it was really nice having that person. And, you know, so that is one of the reasons why I also like incorporating that with my dancers because having that knowledge just it it makes things so much more powerful but then on the flip side I also was an injured dancer when I was in high school and didn't have anyone in the medical community that I could go to and it affected some of the trajectory in my dance and left me with pain that I dealt with for years until I was in PT school and was able to learn more about what was happening and then what to do about it for myself. And so, you know, those are kind of two different experiences for myself that I know I always kind of go back to of what am I doing now as a professional in the community? No, definitely. I mean, I think pain's really interesting. It's you know, when I was doing my master's, we had a whole sort of module on on pain. And again, when I was teaching sort of healthy dancer modules, we had some components on discussing pain as well. Um, it's trying to get the balance, isn't it, uh, in terms of not over-medicalizing things as well. And when you're trained at that level, things are going to be sore, but trying to teach the difference, you know, what is pain, what is injury what is damage and trying to process that knowing that people process it in different ways mm -hmm. and there's a you know a psychosocial component of that with it in the environment as well are they sensitized um, how are they processing the pain so educating them and being that resource for them as well is in, is is important definitely mm -hmm. what do you think are maybe a couple of things that you in your opinion and experience that you think are places where we particularly need to grow as far as dance medicine, dance science, supporting the dance community? Good question. Good question. I suppose I do think a lot about how, you know, dance medicine is evolved. And I'm really lucky that I've just been elected onto the items board um, and looking at how we are going to, you know, um, uh, develop dance medicine and science. I think it's really important that we're aware of our own biases. I think that's that's key. We know that we want to, um, as we said before, not push too quickly, get the evidence, collect the evidence to make sure it is as, as strong as it can be. So then we have the, the power to go back to um, the people at the top and say, look, we need to try and try and change this. How can we change it? Um, 
we know that dancers never want to really stop dancing so how can we how can we manage that if they are needing some time to to rest but we still need to keep their their fitness levels up and 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 their love how can we support them in terms of psychologically if you know their identity is so much ingrained in dance and they can't dance they can be such a shock to then have to, to you know have some time out or when they're transitioning you know how can we help them in different people transition at different times in their life to making sure that they've got the resources they need um, to be healthy healthy adults um, when you're working with people who are so young it can become so ingrained the culture that they don't see that that some of their behaviors are maladaptive and try and support them and they're sometimes conditioned not to speak up you know in the dance world you just get on with it um, and it shouldn't be seen as a you know a sign of weakness so supporting that um, other things that I'm really keen on in terms of um, within items we've been definitely looking at our EDI sort of policies and trying to incorporate um, all forms of dance and support areas of the world that maybe don't have the same resources as well so definitely pushing to go to other um, parts and get that information out there translating the language into different um, uh, sort of countries so that information is disseminated not just in a western model but all across the world and also I think sustainability um, in the UK we have um, it's called the Green Book so it's developed by the National Theatre I think you have something similar on Broadway like Green Broadway mm -hmm. I think as um, dance medicine practitioners we have a duty to try and look at how we um, work sustainably in terms of the people that we connect with um, that we use from a business model so we use our our power in terms of financial um, sort of um, support or sponsorship um, that who we're dealing with to make sure that we are um, dealing with you know the current climate issues that we that we're facing these are all topical issues that we need to look at within theatre um, to make sure that health and climate is intrinsically linked um, and I know that there's an organization environmental physiotherapy that is looking at that specifically so how can we collectively use our voice and we are not separate we are not a different sort of part of the community we all need to be doing that together so one of the things we were keen on you mentioned about Limerick that for all the attendees to the conference they would look at planting a tree for every person that attended in a forest in in Ireland so I was obviously definitely trying to push that that idea forward mm -hmm. um, so we are making a difference as a as a community as well yeah and I think that's such an interesting thing to talk about I don't know how it is over there for you I know in the US we've in just the last I feel like last couple of years we've really started to see more of you know yes that environmental impact thinking more general public health and not just treating an individual in front of us or or how we're functioning solely in the clinic um even you know I have a friend and colleague who's even exploring space of physios in disaster response and how we can assist in the triage front and all of that sort of thing and so it's exciting to see where all our profession can go and be involved and it's it's not just that individual in front of us that it truly is a global impact even with every 
small thing that we do, we can be serving that kind of larger purpose. Exactly. And it's, it's all interconnected. So again, looking at what they're doing in the sports arena, look what they're doing in the performing arts arena, trying to tie all in together, these things all inter, in, interlinked, how we're traveling. Um, you know, think about on a tour, how much travel and um, that we create, you know, the energy in terms that we're using to get things going. So can we all be much more aware about that? Um, uh, and it, I think it all links into to general health, the pressure, physical, mental, emotional, how can we support it? And I always think that artists, you know, we are sensitive to that. We're creatives for, for a reason. So I think we are a little bit more aware about it. And, you know, currently in the current climate, you can see that there's lots of um, issues going on. People aren't happy. So how can we, we positively change that and be, um, be good citizens? I do have quite a civic, I've done a lot of voluntary work over the years because I have that quite civic streak in terms of the, all the, the stuff I volunteer for. Um, and I think, I think it's just important having done both the Olympics when we're in London and the Commonwealth Games. So that's sort of a, like a friendly games with, with Commonwealth countries. You can see that they're trying to, to implement all of all of those um, sort of philosophies in those sporting environments. Mm -hmm. And I think in dance medicine, we can we can do just as good, if not better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think something that you said kind of sparked a little thought in my brain and thinking of artists. And I think because it's so inherent and ingrained in a performer and in an artist to be even more in tune with like that emotional side, expressive side, all of that piece. And I think things like COVID when things were shut down and we couldn't do the things we normally do, it gave people a lot more opportunity to kind of think about, well, how am I supporting my mental health or my physical health? Or, you know, it, it, it forced that pause to reflect and think. And so I feel like since then, we've seen a bit more of a, a push and an awareness around promoting all of those aspects of a dancer or a performer um, than perhaps we did before. Yeah. I think of it like, do you know the movies Back to the Future? Yes. And obviously when they go back, they change something and then it goes into a parallel universe. I definitely feel that, you know, our trajectory has 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 changed. Um, see, obviously we've got Back to the Future, the musical on, in London at the moment. I think it's just gone on to Broadway. It's a topical. Um, but yeah, I do think things have changed. I think there is a definite generation shift um, in terms of the expectations about what's happening with work. Um, I think people feel a lot more empowered to say what they want to and what they need. And it's trying to get that balance because there are obviously certain things that you know, money constraints or other other constraints that that, that that do sort of counteract that. I know that a physio, as a physio, I um I have to be quite careful about my boundaries as well because we want to help. And especially as a as a performer, you know, you're trying to give everything to the audience, but you do have to put those boundaries in place. Working as a performing arts medicine physio is not easy. There are some really long hours so if you're on a tour you are in the theater early 
especially if people are doing rehearsals, so you're normally in there before the rehearsals, you're, you're doing all of the stuff before the show in terms of managing injuries, if there's reports and scans and everything to sort out. You're obviously then um, ready to get people taped or whatever you need to do just prior to the show. You're then there for the whole show in case there's any sort of things during the show. And then something happens at the end of the show, you're there to, <laughs> to, you know, to mop that up and try and deal with it as well. And if you're one physio, which a lot of the time they only have one physio on a, on a show, that's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. so again, I think having that community and that support network for us is really important as well, that you have people that can understand the difficulties you're going through and, you know, you can, um, you know, look after your own health because it, it isn't easy and I think that's what I think having this community is is important in terms of the dance medicine specialists that we can all talk to each other and support each other definitely and I think that piece of being able to be mindful of those things for ourselves is a really important one and then one that is a more recent uh, discovery and lesson for myself working on site at some of these events. Like when I do cover a swing event, I usually am also a competitor. And between covering the event and competing, I'm usually open for business from 10, 11 o'clock in the morning until 11, 12 o'clock at night, whether or not I have clients that entire time. I'm competing in between there. And then I usually stay up and do some social dancing for a few hours until 2, 3 a.m. and then do it again. And I do that for a few days in a row. Thankfully, this only happens a couple of times a year because otherwise I would not make it. But really being protective and, and making sure that I block out a reasonable amount of time for me to get meals, making sure that if, you know, if the day before was really busy, book in some extra space for myself for breaks during the day for the following day and following some of my own advice that I might give to the performers that have the busy, crazy schedules of that sort of like self, uh, uh, you know, protecting yourself and maintaining good health for yourself, applying that to myself as well as the provider and, and not just telling them to do it. Yeah. And I think that I always, you know, there's somebody within a company, if I'm working with a company that I always try and connect with that isn't a patient, so to speak, um, whether it be the, the company manager or a coach, just somebody that is there for, for your support as well, um, that you can you know, discuss how you're feeling and support each other, I think is, is you know, is, is, is vital with it as well. I, I have one rule that if at the end of the show and we've finished, and people have gone out if i've got a glass in my hand i'm not a physiotherapist so don't ask me about anything physiotherapy if i've got a glass in my hand that's downtime and it'll mm -hmm. you, know, you know have to have to wait within obviously reason but um but yeah that's the, that's one of the rules i say to them if i've got a glass i'm off duty um obviously unless there's emergencies or something you need to right. definitely be on for but you've got, you've got to put those boundaries because it is burnout in health care is a real a real issue um mm -hmm. and we need each other with that you know that is important yes 100 percent. well i think this is the perfect opportunity to do a special segment that we have on dance med spotlight let me get it queued up here
So we have the final bow. Essentially, this is your opportunity to give your takeaway message, your parting words for the audience. We've had the opportunity to talk about a lot of different things. So if they walk away with just one thing, what do you hope it is? Oh, that's a good one. The, fi the final bow. I think um, if we're summarizing everything that we've spoken about, it's that community that, you know, dance, medicine and science is a community. It's a welcoming community. Um, and it's evol an evolving community. So there are resources out there in terms of all these different organizations that we've mentioned, I Adams, PAMA, um, the Performing Science Organizations, as well as the, the CSP or the APTA. There's all those resources there that we've put together to try and develop this as a speciality. So please, you know, reach out to people. People are more than welcome in, within that community to, to help and develop it. And the idea is that we want to provide, you know, competent, um, safe, knowledgeable practitioners that love their art. You know, we love dancing, uh, we love performing. So how can we support that um, and develop it and grow as a community? Does that summarize things in a, yes. in a good way? <laughs> yes, I love that for sure. Then the very final piece is your opportunity to promote, whether it's something that you have going on, organizations that you work with, something that you want to share with the audience, what would that be? Um, obviously, as a, an IADAMS board member, it would be remiss of me not to mention, you know, the, the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. I think that is, you know, part of my career journey that has helped me get to where, you know, I am. And I think, as I said before, we know we can't do it alone. So I think, you know, if you want to make those difference, join that community and try and develop things. But making sure that the social side of it is um, is integral to that in terms of the the EDI, making sure that everybody feels like they belong, whether they're on the stage or off the stage, backstage. Um, and from a sustainability point of view, I think that is really important that we, we all have a responsibility in terms of the environmental physiotherapy and our practice to 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 work together towards a healthier society, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and, and help us all to grow. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. I'll make sure that we get all of the information shared out with everybody. So thank you for being a guest. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I look forward to when we meet face to face again and we can have a good, good dance and boogie. Yes, exactly. <laughs> dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.